Hello, hello. You're listening to the Trans-Specific Partnership. I'm your host, Joanna Cifredo. And I'm your host, Rebecca Kling. And welcome to season two of the Trans-Specific Partnership. Bum, ba bum 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 <laughs> Should we say, like, we, we've been picked up for a second season? Oh, yeah. We talked to our funders, which are no one. We talked to... <laughs> Our sponsors, which are also no one. We did some impressive... That's us. You're yeah, calling us no one. We are self-sponsored and self-funded. Uh, so we're doing season two. We were a little behind on finishing season one, but we're back. And we are currently at the Time to Thrive conference, which is in Orlando. It's a conference that's all about youth issues. And their tagline is promoting safety, inclusion, and well-being for LGBTQ youth everywhere. Time to Thrive is put on by HRC, which has not always had the best history working on trans rights, and that is a subject for another episode. We will say that this weekend trans voices have been really present, and it has been really wonderful seeing the ways that trans voices and communities of color are being engaged around this work. So it's been great being at Time to Thrive in beautiful, sunny Orlando this weekend. Today, we are joined by one of our dear friends and colleagues, Vanessa Ford. Vanessa is a educator and a teacher. And she and her husband, JR, are advocates for trans rights. And they are the parents of two adorable children who I take care of, and one of them who (laughs) happens to be trans. And it's really been wonderful, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, getting to know Vanessa through the advocacy scene, and then really becoming close friends. Uh, So, Vanessa, how has your conference been? The conference has been great. As always, I love coming to these spaces. Um, I often tell people I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, um, and I'm an advocate. And this conference brings all of those pieces together. And for me, as a parent, uh, you're right, HRC's done a really nice job in this particular setting bringing so many trans voices, parents of trans kids together to one space, to have conversations, to build community. They've also brought together so many educators and social workers. And as a teacher, I spent 15 years in a classroom and now I'm director of ed for a a national organization. I know how critical it is for teachers to feel empowered and trained to do what they know is right for all students. And then I think for me, the best part is always seeing the youth. So this particular conference has a big set of youth ambassadors who take the stage, who speak, who present, and their voices are really listened to. And it was really powerful because at the end of today, all these parents took the stage for a picture, these parents of trans youth. And we were looking out at the official photographer and about 20 of our children or the parents' children taking pictures of us. That's really cute. And while my children are too small to be here, this moment of all these teens grinning, taking pictures of their parents, being recognized for supporting them, showed me that, you know, this community is important. That's really wonderful. I think it also, it makes me think of, there was a a bit of a buzz a little while back because there were a number of organizations that were saying, we are fighting for trans students. And some trans students pushed back and are like, well, fight with us. We don't Mm -hmm. need you to fight for us. And it feels like the way that the youth voices have been centered this weekend is very much in the mindset of working with youth, not for youth. And I think that divide definitely comes with age, too. Right. So we have these little ones, you know, our daughter is seven. And many times we are fighting for her and these smaller littles, as we tend to say. But there are 10 year olds, eight year olds 
um, seven-year-olds who are taking the Texas legislature on. So I believe that once a child decides that that is a voice they want to hold, absolutely raising them up to give them that voice. My daughter isn't particularly interested in that. She'd much rather draw an art and play with her BFFs. Um, So in our case, you know, I try to think, how can I support and fight for others who may not be able to have that voice and support those youth who then want to have it? That's really great. It's been fun being at this conference, too, because it's just always a great opportunity to network. You get Mm -hmm. to see chosen family that Mm -hmm. maybe is in other parts of the country. My coworker and I presented yesterday on how to advocate in schools, and that was always really enjoyable. Uh, And then the conference is in Orlando, so it's, it's, Mm. I'm not going to lie, it's sunny and beautiful, and that helps. (laughs) It's so nice. Coming from Boston... Yeah. After this. Oh, but yeah. then it's also just, I got to go to the Orlando LGBT Center, and I got mm-hmm. to go to Zebra Connections, which is an organization that specifically works... Zebra Coalition. Zebra Coalition, thank you. Mm-hmm. I went to Zebra Coalition, an organization that works with LGBTQ youth in Orlando. I used to go there when I was a kid. Because you're from yeah. Orlando. Yeah, I used to go when I was a teenager. What is it like to be back here in this space that's empowering around community as an adult working in space when this is your home and you grew up in this space? It's odd because I feel uh, most of my adult life I was in D.C. And so I have this like connection to the city while also like most of my maturing has been outside of the city. So whenever I meet activists here in Orlando, it's almost like they're finding almost a new resource that they didn't even know about because I haven't been local for a while. Hmm. That makes sense. Any highlights of the conference for you, Joanna? Let's see. The more conferences that you attend, the more like you people. get to know people. There's... Yeah, you get to know people. So you get say... conference buddies. I'll see you yes. in three months. Exactly. <laughs> you get the familiar faces. So uh, seeing familiar faces, seeing the young people, and seeing my family uh, yeah. because you know we're local. So seeing my family was great. That was a highlight for me because I get to know Joanna, the friend, and Joanna, the activist, and this powerful woman in D.C. and now New York, and just to come back to Orlando where you grew up and and have that lens into your life was really wonderful. Um, Kind of see the whole you. (laughs) And how much, Joanna, do you feel like the city has changed and how much do you feel like you've changed coming back? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Mm. I'm just trying to... The get to the hard-hitting journalism <laughs> yeah. that's trans-specific part We want to know, for. really, the depth of how you're feeling about being in this space. I mean, we were with you and your family. That's kind of a connection. That's a yeah. that's a collision of worlds, and I'm curious how it felt. Well, the city has changed a lot, specifically from, like, when I was younger. Uh, the schools have changed, um, the conversations. When I was in high school, one of my best friends, who's also trans, she tried to go out for Miss Colonial, and the school refused to let her do so. Mm. She was sent home for wearing um, heels or skirts. So the the transformation that the schools have made and just the climate is significant, although we still have a long, 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 long mm. way to go. Uh, there's so much more development. There's so many more people now. Uh, Yeah, everywhere we've gone, whether it was from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to downtown, from the hotel to restaurants, Mm -hmm. there's just construction everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's always been like that. I-4, the main highway, I moved to Central Florida when I was 13, and I don't remember a time in which it wasn't under construction. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but the city is a very beautiful city. It's very clean. Um, and it's, there's been so much like construction going on with so many new people coming all the time. 
So that's uh, interesting. Seeing my family was great. Every time I come in, I always have like mixed feelings because of Pulse. And so like, I always have conflicting emotions. But this time was, uh, it felt very healing. I'm glad. Yeah, with the plenary arium. Is that how you say it? Plenary? That. The plenary (laughs) session? What's a plenarium? A planetarium? Oh, is that? Okay, never mind. A planetarium is where you see stars. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have one in Broward Community College. But I don't think that's what was healing on this visit, because we didn't go to a planetarium. Yeah, but you know what I mean. We could, the weekend isn't yeah. over. I know. We could. <laughs> but having, what was healing? The Just plan, planary. Plenary. Plan, that. The planary. That word, the first it one shouldn't they, be a word. I know. When they first, um, the first one where they had a... The opening plenary of the conference yes. was really powerful. They had pulse Yes. And, and parents. Yeah, and so and, it's always... Yeah nice where I get the moments where I get to share a pain with someone mm-hmm. like um, because it doesn't feel like you're bearing it by yourself right because there's community and that sense of communal grief and of I'm a firm believer healing. that yeah healing happens in community yeah so did you ever think when you were living here in Orlando that we'd be all having dinner for your birthday with your family and then friends from all over the country in an activism world? Um, Was that one? Because you are someone who puts out an intention and then you make that happen. Was that ever part of your intention? Not when I lived here, but I did, I did say on multiple occasions, like to Rebecca, that some point we're going to get down to Orlando and we'll go to Disney and we'll Mm -hmm. see my mom. And as you say, I, I often put things into the universe (laughs) and let the universe make things happen. And the cool thing is my friends have noticed that oftentimes that will happen, that I'll put something out and it does come to pass. So now they're they're also practicing manifesting things. That being said, you work towards those things. It's not like you put them out and then stop doing stuff. That's true. (laughs) Around the conference Mm -hmm. itself, I also always just love the opportunity to connect with activists who are doing interesting Mm -hmm. work. Joanna and I had a really great conversation this morning with an activist who wants to do a visibility campaign in Orlando to show trans folks as part of... We should talk about Q Latinx. Yeah. So... Yeah. So we... we, The activist that uh, Rebecca is mentioning, uh, his name was Ishmael, Mm -hmm. and he's with an awesome organization called Q Latinx, if you haven't been on their website or if you haven't heard of them, Google them. They're qlatinx.org. And they were an organization that was birthed out of the Pulse tragedy. Mm. So we, in Central Florida, there's there's a, we have LGBTQ organizations and we have some Latino organizations, but we didn't have any queer. Dedicated yeah. LGBTQ Latino or Latinx and Which af- there should be, given the population and now there of Florida. Is. And yeah. now there is. And after the Pulse shooting, we realized how needed it was because it was very challenging trying to coordinate translation services Mm. for families that were coming in from out of the country, like just getting them services, getting them connected with the the funeral homes, having bodies shipped overseas. And we didn't have any any like specific organization that could lead the charge, that could speak to the complexities of queer Latino identities. Absolutely. And so that was really that specific meeting and then just more generally being able to meet with people from around the country and to um, hear from 
a lot of these youth voices to hear the opening plenary with some of the voices of people who were either at Pulse or who had lost family members at Pulse. And I think it's easy to get disconnected from stuff happening elsewhere, Mm -hmm. like being in D.C. or being in New York or Vanessa's in Boston, where there is a ton just happening right there. And so also being able to get to the Orlando LGBT Center, to get Mm -hmm. to the Zebra Coalition, to get to um, meet with some of the local activists and advocates and think about, okay, how can the work that we're doing feed each other and how can the um, advocacy that we're doing support each other? That's actually something that has come out of these parent networks. When Ellie first transitioned, I... Ellie's your daughter. Ellie, right. Ellie's my daughter, my trans daughter. And she, when she first transitioned, I'm someone who only functions in network settings. So I find people to give information and I research. I wouldn't say you only function. I would say you thrive. Okay. In <laughs> it is my time to thrive in these communities. <laughs> and so um, for me right now, there are parents and advocates all over the country attacking very specific local issues and then national issues. And once you build that community, you can actually speak up and connect through those to help one another. So when Texas had so many parents just every single week, it felt like going to testify, they knew there were there were supports coming in from around the country, whether it was food sent to the courthouse or whether it was letters from our kids to the kids testifying or whether it's folks like yourselves or other families who actually flew down to support them. Right. And, and so I, like, I yeah. am proud that I was able to yes. uh, be on the phone with some of the people before yeah, they were testifying them. to do last minute trainings or to mm-hmm. do last minute brainstormings or to help them rehearse and practice and walk through things before mm-hmm. they were going to speak in front of the state legislature because my voice as someone who is not from Texas mm-hmm. shouldn't be the voice that's important right. in that space. And also, I absolutely want to support those voices and help train and um, find ways for them to share in the most impactful way possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which you're very good at. Aw, Because actually, that's how, that's how we initially met. When Ellie first transitioned, we heard about... Um, different organizations, and we stomped on up to the offices and... The rest is history. (laughs) But really, with all of our advocacy, I think it's really important for parents who are entering this advocacy world to also consider that we are um, sharing our story as parents in a community of lots of people sharing stories and to walk that line between speaking for our children versus uh, speaking about supporting our children. And so, as I've often said, when I I hear um, Rebecca's speak about the supports NCTE offers, I encourage any parent who's going out there to do a newspaper or a media piece or to speak in legislature to actually work with an organization to craft what to say to ensure that that message is going to be heard correctly. And also that it is um, the right time to use that voice. Right. That it's not always going to be the right time for, you know, Vanessa and J.R. Ford to be speaking about a specific issue. It might be the right time to send a text to a trans youth who's about to get up and say, good job, but not for us to be the people. And part of the way that I've talked about that is if there's, if there's, you know, a city council meeting where there's 10 speaking spots. Right. Absolutely. They can't all be cis allies. Mm Mm-mm. But I would also argue they shouldn't all be trans folks either because we do need those parent voices or educator voices or law enforcement or uh, doctors to be able to say... Or clergy. Or Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. people of faith to be able to say, 
I'm not trans, Mm -hmm. this is still super important. Mm -hmm. And because of my faith or because of my morals or because of my ethics or because of, you know, my my brother or sibling, these are the reasons why I support uh, trans young people. That reminds me of something that happened this morning in an elevator. So there's some massive soccer conference. It looks kind of fun. This hotel has been <laughs> hilarious this weekend. Kids. Because it's been a combination of, like, queer folks and allies. Yes. Families here to go to the Disney parks. <laughs> and and a, a ton of kids playing soccer. Yes, and signs that say, do not kick soccer balls in here. Yeah, yeah. I think this hotel's marketed as a family hotel because of the Lazy River. Ah, oh, true. There is a nice pool out there. So back. we yeah. were in the elevator, and um, I'm wearing um, a trans is beautiful shirt, a black trans lives matter, rainbow flags everywhere. And this little girl says, oh, are you here for a conference? And I said, yeah. What's it about? Well, I'm a teacher, and, and we're here as educators learning to keep all kids safe in school. And the dad looked at me and said, that's really important, especially now. And I said, yeah, there's a lot of ways to keep kids safe, and we're all here to learn how best to do that. And so just connecting this conference, which is LBGTQ specific in many ways, does connect to all those other ways that schools need to be safe. They need to be safe, obviously, from gun violence. They need to be safe for immigrants. They need to be safe for students with disabilities. And they need to be safe for children like mine. Um, and Muslims. And students. Muslims. And basically every every party that's under attack. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that all <laughs> children deserve a good education? Because I don't know. <laughs> I can't get behind that. I know. I dare say that all children deserve. And it was interesting also because... Um, Ellie's kindergarten teacher applied to present at this conference. And she didn't tell me she did that until after she was accepted. This was a passion that she wanted to do. And I went to this yesterday. And after sobbing my eyes out at the fact that this amazing educator is sitting here in Orlando presenting, um, I watched the presentation and, and it struck me that as she presented, the first 30 minutes was the foundation with which she builds her classroom so she builds a classroom with mirrors and windows she says she wants all the kids in her classrooms to be able to see themselves and also have a window into other people and it gives me chills right and so oh that's so uh, good and then she talked about and she was there with her other kindergarten teacher i know and and they said they try to reflect that in everything they do they talked about the um, conscious discipline, the sense of ensuring a child's core sense of safety and feeling loved before being educated and how they build that language. And so when they eventually got to how these things, I know, don't cry, it's really amazing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> You're so, cool. so, you know, when they got to how they made this LBGTQ inclusive, everyone said, wait a minute. The educator said, wait a minute, this isn't really just about being inclusive for the kids who are here for this conference. What you're saying applies to every kid in your classroom. They said, yes. And in being in this conference, they said they've learned how much they have to learn and grow. And so it was twofold. And I think that that brought it home to me that excellent educators, and there are so many, want to do right by children in this country. And if the Department of Education says we're not going to listen to complaints about bathrooms for trans students, for example... That's just confusing to educators, but they're good people. It's not people. just confusing, it's against the well, law. Well, okay. So let's clarify yes, a little clarify bit Yes, right clarify that and then go for it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and give the quick and dirty. Go for it. Title IX is a 1972 law that says any education organization that receives federal funding can't discriminate on the basis of sex. Right. And that is almost every education institution in the country because even 
Many, certainly not all, but many private schools, many charter schools mm-hmm. are still getting public funding, so are still held by Title IX. Federal funding. Thank you. Yeah. They're still getting federal funding. That's the, mm-hmm. an important distinction. And under the Obama administration, the Department of Education said, Title IX, we are interpreting to protect trans students. So being consistent with court rulings. So there, in addition to Title IX, there is also, I believe it's Title VII, which uh, applies to workplaces. And multiple courts throughout the country had interpreted sex discrimination to include gender identity, essentially saying that if you are, for example, of Muslim faith and you are discriminated against, that's religious discrimination. If you convert from Islam to Christianity, and you're still discriminated against, that is still religious religious discrimination. Mm -hmm. So the way they interpret it is that if you are denied employment because you are a woman, that is discrimination on the basis of sex. If you convert from male to female, Ah. as the way they interpret, as the way they explain it, it is, and you are denied um, a job, that is still discrimination on the basis of your sex. So multiple courts throughout the country had interpreted sex discrimination to include gender identity. And then when the court started looking at Title IX, the clause for sex discrimination, they interpreted the sixth and seventh court, they interpret it it the same way. So the Obama administration, um, the Department of Education, the Department of Justice released guidance saying that we are going to interpret you know, we are going to go with court decisions that have interpreted sex discrimination to include gender identity. And I think that's an important clarification Mm -hmm. that the Obama administration was not just making this interpretation up. They were saying, we, along with courts throughout the country, are saying anti-trans discrimination is sex discrimination. We are releasing guidance to go to clarify, to guide. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was essentially just saying that this is the, the latest court cases. This is the right. la- like. So under the Trump administration, the Department of Education first in 2017 removed that guidance. They said this guidance no longer applies. We're not saying that we are not agreeing that Title IX automatically includes trans people. And then more recently... The Department of Education specifically said, we do not consider anti-trans bathroom policies as sex discrimination at all. Hold, hold on, because I want to hone in on that point a little bit more. They rescinded the guidance February 23rd, 2017, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos was confirmed at the beginning of February. Literally less than three weeks passed with no comment period, nothing, they rescinded the guidance. No preparation, no announcement, no consultation with impacted communities, nothing. She had barely been in office less, she was less, she was in office for less than a month when this happened. And a year later, it wasn't, it wasn't that they made an announcement. It was that a reporter pushed them. Pushed them. Yeah. You know, after they re- yeah, after they released the um, Dear Colleague letter during the summer, pushed them over and over and asked and sent emails. And eventually they revealed that they weren't hearing complaints and that they were disregarding the law. Because the reality is that the Sixth and Seventh Circuit courts have ruled and that is the law, that 
sex discrimination encompasses gender identity and trans students are protected. And we have a Department of Education that says we are going to... Ignore that. Yeah, yeah, we are going to ignore the law. We are undermining the rule of law in this country. Absolutely. And and what's so egregious is that we... I, I explained to one of my friends that it would have been one thing if we undermined the rule of law to help people. For example, in the wake of Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and Hurricane Maria, we have the Jones Act. The government didn't say, oh, screw the Jones Act. Flood the shores with aid. Those are mm-hmm. our American citizens. They, we didn't undermine the rule of law then. For example, Obama tried to bend the rules for DACA and you know tried to create a solution mm-hmm. to help people. Here we have an instance where they are undermining the rule of law to hurt people. And I'm particularly curious, Vanessa, Mm -hmm. what your experience has been recently, because I know, so before you moved to Boston this last year, you Mm -hmm. were in D.C. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting that the three of us who all met in D.C. and are now in three different cities get to be together. to be two different cities. Well... Joanna's lobbying. She's lobbying really hard. For She's me practicing her lobbying skills on her best friend. Um, so we'll see about right. that. But you, when you were in DC, um, actually met with Secretary right. DeVos and with your trans daughter, as well as with um, one or two other families right. and their trans youth. So it was interesting when the when the guidance was rescinded. I was actually in Texas for work, and I remember where I was and how I felt. And I was flying home, and there was the rally at the White House, and I pulled pulled in, had my suitcase, and we stood out there, and everyone should watch it. There's an amazing speech my husband gave at that point. And we'll we were, link to it in the Yes, it was notes. just, it, it was passionate, and we were upset, and we were angry, and actually, Joanna was at our house watching our children talk about community support so that we could be out there at that time. And a few weeks later, through work of GLSEN and CTE and Equality Michigan, um, we had the opportunity to go meet with the Secretary of Education in a small group setting where we would sit down, our family, a mom who had supported her trans child but whose school had not and had lost her son to suicide, and a teen advocate um, who's since written about her work in uh, Teen Vogue, Grace Dolan-Sandrino. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we sat there and we told our stories and Ellie just drew pictures and whatnot. And uh, we tried to show her a how we could know that our child was a girl. Right. And uh, she commented that uh, she also had a six year old granddaughter. And oh, are you in kindergarten? <laughs> and yet so there was this sense of, oh, your daughter is just like my granddaughter. And so we were pushing to say. So our daughter should have the same rights as your granddaughter. Um, A lot of other conversations happened in that space. And we actually really pushed for her uh, to uh, tweet out, send out. There isn't guidance within the Department of Ed, but there's model policy. We say it exists. It's embedded in 16 million pages on your web page. Please put this out for somebody. They could do a dear colleague letter. They could. They could do anything. And um, when I got home... One of the things I said is, I know she listened to us. The real question is if she heard us and actions will be louder than anything she said in that space. And we waited and we waited and we've pushed and we've pushed. And then it became less clear this week that um, she listened and she chose not to hear us. And in fact, she made a decision against the youth there and against um, the mom who'd lost her son and thousands and thousands. And it is shameful. And 
for me as an educator. Catherine Prescott, I think. Yeah, Catherine Prescott. And she's done a lot of um, writing as well. And Karen Dolan, Grace's mom, was there. And so it just felt like a direct punch in the gut. Um, You don't forget meeting families. Right, you looked her in the eyes. Yeah, we looked her in the eyes. You all shook hands. Right. I Um, think there's something very important that you said she made a decision. Oh, she did make a decision. This isn't... Oh well, the you know my hands are tied. Mm. These are this is a court decision. No, like mm-hmm. this is they made a decision to right. ignore the law. And you know, for teachers in spaces that don't aren't naturally progressive, um, and places that don't have policies already in place, a lot of educators want to do the right thing. They believe all children can learn. They don't necessarily have the skills or training to make sure that happens. And in many spaces, they do not have the support. So we know it's not the law. But if the Department of Education puts out a statement like that, a district in Missouri can hear that statement and feel empowered empowered to to do it, but also confuse a leader who's like, oh, wait, now I can't do it because it sounds like the law. And then there's all the work be like, it isn't the law. And there's two things that will happen. Families are going to sue. And they're going to continue to win. And the money will talk and take away from the district until they listen. But the worst thing that's going to happen is that lives of youth are hanging in the balance while that happens. Right. And that is the real loss that will be felt about that. And uh, you both know me well. I'm not going to be quiet about it. Uh, This is my field of education. And I'm going to be loud and uh, keep fighting. Because Ellie is safe. So really right now it's not about her story. She has all of, has both of you, me, family, community. Um, but there are many youth out there who are not and parents who feel very alone. So how do we, how do we find that hope? How do we stay positive? How do we keep fighting when it can feel hopeless and negative? With each other. Mm. It's all, the, it goes back to community. For me, community needs to activate to be there for one another. Um, Again, I was traveling for work. I was driving through rural Tennessee. I happened to have a mom contact me on Facebook about her daughter. And I took a three-hour detour and spent the day with that family. They cannot transition their trans child in this safe space. But to spend the day there gave that child and that mom a feeling that they were not alone. And if they could get connected, whether it was going to Knoxville or something else, they would. And that there was hope out there. So I just encourage other parents like to think outside yourself as a parent in your story. I know we're in the media a lot, but we really try to make sure that we media for good, right? right. And and connect with parents who do not have that voice to let them know you're there and to show up if at all possible for them. I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, Vanessa, where can people find you online? Um, on Twitter, I'm at vanessa 4 dc I'll lose my little verified thing if I change it to Boston. (laughs) And my husband and I have a public Facebook page that we set up solely for the purpose of being easily found. And we're just Facebook backslash the Ford family. Or if you type in JR and Vanessa Ford. And we always encourage people to message us. And uh, every day we get between one and two messages from families looking to get connected. Great. So please. Well, you can find the Trans-Specific Partnership oh, yeah. Where can we find you? on Twitter and <laughs> Facebook and Instagram at Trans-Specific. You can find me at Rebecca Kling. And you can find me at Joanna Cifredo. We are excited to dive into season two. Thank you so much, Vanessa. It was mm-hmm. always lovely seeing you and talking with you. And I'm really 
appreciate the um, conversation you're willing to have with us today. Thank you for having me. We've been trying to do this for a long time, and now I'm excited to go dive in the Orlando water pool and celebrate this amazing weekend. Let's do it. (laughs) Yay. Stay tuned for more of season two and more interviews. We will catch you later. Should we record that? (laughs) Yeah, let's record that whole thing again.